I'm Russ McQuaid, and this is Indie Justice. Welcome to Episode 2 of Season 1, Who Killed Angie Barlow? The nightmare started on October 26 when Angie went out with some friends to a party and has not been seen since. She just said, moms, I don't want you to freak out, she said, but I think we have a problem. She said, sis didn't come home last night. Detectives found 23-year-old Angie Barlow's body buried behind a home on the city's northeast side yesterday afternoon. There is a complete emptiness. It literally feels like somebody just reaches into your chest and pulls a piece of your heart out. And tonight, this missing persons case is now a homicide investigation. I believe I know who did it, but I don't know who killed her. Or I believe I know who killed her, but I have no proof. My daughter had to die because her boyfriend cheated on her. In their own way, they're just trying to entertain people and make money while they're doing it. But it's, it's nothing that they should have to die for. It just is really a risk of being involved in that sort of uh, world. I want justice for all these girls. Angie Barlow disappeared after dancing at a private party on Indianapolis's northwest side in late October of 2016. For eight months, Angie's family and the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department and even the media searched for the missing 23-year-old woman. Then, in the summer of 2017, June 20th to be exact, a tip led Metro homicide detectives to an empty house on the city's northeast side where, out back... Along a tree line, a body was discovered. The find was reported as breaking news that afternoon on Fox 59. William Hall knows a thing or two about what happens on his block. And the house sat vacant for probably two years. A man tells me he now owns the house and lives there with his teenage daughters. He says they were as shocked as anyone when police started banging on the door this morning and found a body technicians say has been there at least several months. For Christina Kramer, Angie Barlow's mother, the search for her daughter was about to end. My phone started ringing, and I'm getting text messages, and they were all from reporters um, wanting to know how I feel about them digging for my daughter, which we had no idea what was going on at the time. It was mostly sunny, and the thermostat hit a high of 82 degrees on that Tuesday, the last day of spring in Indianapolis. As Marion County forensics crews dug into the backyard on East 43rd Street and found exactly what they were told they'd be looking for. Angie Barlow's body was finally discovered after spending the winter buried five feet underground in a grave that investigators say showed some forethought and preparation. That day, Angie went from being a missing person to a murder victim, and her case became Indianapolis homicide number 68 of the year 2017. The young woman from Muncie was shot to death. How does Angie end up in a shallow grave over on East 43rd Street? Um, well, it wasn't that shallow, but it was, it was there. And so that afternoon, the investigation begins into the murder of Angie Barlow. 
I'm, um, my name is Jose Torres. I uh, am a homicide detective with IMPD, and I've been in law enforcement for over 21 years. How long have you been a homicide detective? Total of almost nine years now. Jose Torres guesses it takes about five years for a homicide detective to get good at his or her job. Torres has been at it almost twice that long and investigated dozens of killings, so he knows what to look for. I've seen horrendous things. I've seen terrible things on scenes. Babies to elderly people, everything in between. Different ways they've been killed. Um, but I look at them as evidence. That's it. What humanizes that victim is the family. When I talk to them, oh, so-and-so, he was into this. And I would ask them, okay, were they involved in this, this, or this? Some of them may get offended, but the reason why I'm asking them that is because then it could give me a reason why this possibly happened. Okay, oh, your son did this, or your daughter did this. Okay, that gives me an idea where I need to go, what yeah. I need to look at. I'm not trying to demean your child or loved one, I need to get information to try to figure out where I need to go. Because sometimes it's not obvious. Sometimes it's very obvious. Torres believes Angie Barlow's choice to leave home as a teenager and move to Indianapolis to work as a stripper likely played a role in her murder. She would typically, sometimes, not typically, but she would do some, sometimes do private dances. And... Uh, but she would also tell her friends, okay, this is where I'm going if something happens to me. Which is very eerie to me, but it was like, a, it was a common thing for, I guess, for her to do. Um, and unfortunate, uh, unfortunately, you know, this, this information, uh, um, it was almost prophetic. I mean, she, something happens to me, this is where I'll be. And that's the text message Angie sent to her roommate, Tracy, on the night of October 26, 2016, when, fresh back from a road trip to Florida and in need of some cash, she accepted an anonymous text message to dance at a private party in an apartment on the northwest side of Indianapolis for $500. The texter asked, quote, I want your panties and bra to match. Anything black and red? Angie answered, Yes, I have a couple black and red outfits. Against her roommate's misgivings, Angie went to the apartment, but not before texting the address to Tracy. That night, at about quarter to twelve, Angie posted a Snapchat selfie that her mother thinks was probably taken in the bathroom of the apartment, indicating at that hour, everything was cool. Jose Torres thinks within a couple hours... Angie Barlow was dead. The next morning, Angie's roommate told Angie's mom, quote, I don't want you to freak out, she said, but I think we have a problem. She said, sis didn't come home last night. That message set off a desperate eight-month-long search for the missing woman and some heartbreaking tips and dead ends, rumors about human trafficking, and opportunists who tormented the family with claims that they had information for sale. They had sent us pictures that were obviously photoshopped. Um, it was, and I, I knew the exact picture as soon as I seen it because it was one of my favorite pictures ever. And she's smiling and uh, they had put her in, they had photoshopped Muslim garb, Muslim garb on her. And um, 
they sent it to me and telling me that she's being held in captivity and she's miserable and being drugged up and all I could say is why is she smiling <laughs> and you know they're they're telling me that they're going to blow her up and scatter her body over you know thousands of miles and it, and it was it was ridiculous A month after Angie disappears, her family's hopes are buoyed by the discovery of her car, trashed, but hidden in a wooden area of Indianapolis. Detectives don't know how it got there, but they do have surveillance video of Angie's blue Pontiac G6 leaving the apartment complex where Angie was dancing at about 3.30 on the morning of October 27, 2016. Now that's more than three and a half hours after her everything's cool Snapchat selfie was shot in the apartment bathroom. Did anybody uh, figure out what was going on at that address? Well, that Raven and, and Baron were living there, yes. Raven Miller was a dancer Angie knew from Club Rio. She knew Raven's boyfriend, Baron McCullough, from the club, too. There was also video footage of Angie's car leaving that apartment building, but Raven Miller's car was following so I, I have that footage, and, it, and from my understanding, when they were confronted while they were being interviewed about that, they, they stopped. The surveillance video at the front gate was shot from a camera up above. It's dark, and Torres says he can't see who's in those cars. Miller told police, yeah, she had seen Angie that night, but Raven told Angie's mom that Barlow had gotten a phone call about 3 a.m. and split. Miller said she didn't know where Barlow went. When asked about her car following Angie's out of the apartment complex, Miller quit talking to the police. She did talk to Angie's mother, though, twice. Once the day after the disappearance, when Angie's mom contacted the cell phone number the private party text came from, and then one more time when Miller called Kramer from out of the blue. She called me in January of 17. I said, what did you and Angie talk about? And she said, oh, you want to know what her last words were? That was her exact phrase. Oh, you want to know what her exact, or you want to know what her last words were? Why would somebody make a comment like that if they didn't know something. And the dashed hopes and fake outs and creepy coincidences didn't stop there. A couple months later, while Angie is still missing, the family and Muncie police find someone is siphoning money out of her grandmother's bank account. This is what we reported on Fox 59 News. Authorities say over the past several months, Michelle Brown, seen here, stole almost $8,000 from a First County Credit Union bank account belonging to Sharon Barlow, who happens to be the grandmother of missing 23-year-old Angie Barlow. That's in May of 2017, nearly seven months after Angie vanishes. There's got to be a connection, right? Well, maybe not. Michelle Brown tells police she didn't know Angie's grandmother, but she knew the credit union's routing number and chose to hack Sharon Barlow's account at random. Brown pleaded guilty to a theft charge and received a one-year suspended sentence, but then police say she went out and stole from someone else and was charged again a year later. 
IMPD homicide detective Jose Torres says he's yet to find a connection between Sharon Barlow's missing money and her missing granddaughter. Why did somebody want to kill Angie Barlow? Well, there are a couple theories out there that uh, she possibly um, had a relationship with um, Barry McCullough and um, there was some type of STD transmitted and he transmitted it over to his girlfriend, now wife, uh, Raven Miller. We tracked down Raven Miller and Baron McCullough's marriage license that shows they were married in Indianapolis on October 22, 2016. That's four days before an anonymous text from Raven's cell phone summoned Angie Barlow to dance at a party at the couple's apartment. Angie's roommate found the apartment was cleared out within days of Barlow's disappearance. Talking to her friends, um, there is no way Angie would have gone. Angie would have gone to that apartment if she had known that was Raven and Barron's apartment. There is no way she would have walked into that apartment knowing if if either Raven or Baron answered that door, she would have not walked in there. So somebody else had to be there to, to answer the door, to set her up. Yes, there are other. I guarantee you, there are other people in there. Torres says he would like to ask Miller and McCullough about what they think happened to Angie Barlow, but the newlyweds made themselves scarce after Angie's body was found. I have not had an opportunity to interview them or talk to them because they left town, from my understanding, the day that her body was found. On the day Miller and McCullough hit the road, Angie's mom was traveling too. Only she was on her way to Indianapolis and the Marion County Coroner's Office. Then the next morning, we got the phone call on June 21st, and I remember, you know, Detective Burton, he said, Mrs. Kramer, I said, yeah. He said, we need you to come down to the Marion County Coroner's Office. Um, he said, I, I think we found Angela. He said, in fact, I'm almost positive we found Angela. Christina Kramer had finally found her daughter on a slab at the Marion County Morgue. I've been inside that morgue. It's literally a cold, tile-walled place lit by harsh white fluorescent lights with sinks and equipment and metal tables where pathologists probe human remains, old women, young men, babies, to determine why they died. If we didn't um, look at the photographs to make the ID, uh, she would have been buried as a Jane Doe. She wouldn't have had a name. Somebody had to positively ID the body. When we were sitting at the coroner's office, they had, you know, we, we had to ID our daughter um, through what was left of her in photos. And that's, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's stuff you don't, that doesn't leave you when you see those photos like that of your child. As Christina's mission to bring her daughter home was finally ending, Jose Torres' quest to bring Angie and her family justice was just warming up. Slowly, the veteran homicide detective began determining how Angie's body was buried in a grave across town from where she disappeared. I've gotten information that uh, it was transported over there by some other people, but um, unfortunately I don't have all the pieces to put that together. She was transported there um, 
I believe I know who did it, but again, I don't know who killed her. Or I believe I know who killed her, but I have no proof of that. Was there anything you could recover from the burial site and your victim's body that would give you an indication of who the killers are? Unfortunately, um, with the decomposition and uh, the time, a winter, spring, um, all basically a lot of our evidence is gone. A lot, but not all. Detectives are able to learn that after her murder, Angie's body was moved in a third vehicle. Not her car, not Raven Miller's car, but a vehicle that was thoroughly cleaned and driven out of state where Torres eventually found it and recovered some evidence. I've gone all the way down to Georgia to talk to people reference this case. Um, that's kind of where it started. That's another, another part of this investigation. And um, to try to be, recover the vehicles that were possibly used, um, it's been eight months. It's a lot of time to clean things out. For Angie's mom, Christina Kramer, it was also a lot of time to figure things out. What was the motive behind this? Jealousy. Angie had um, evidently had a relationship with Baron, and Raven didn't like it. So my daughter had to die because her boyfriend cheated on her. Raven's boyfriend cheated on her? Yes. We were told it was a, more of a, a, if you love me, this is what we're going to do type thing, which they had gotten married a few days before Angie was murdered, um, which we were told that they had gotten married so they couldn't testify against each other if anything had happened. Police aren't ready to say that Raven Miller and Baron McCullough killed Angie Barlow, only that the couple lured her to an apartment under the guise of a private dance and were among the last people to see her alive. You know where your best suspects are right now? Phoenix, Arizona. Any way to access them? Not right. I mean, I know where they're at, but um, so, I would love to talk to them. So. Assuming they're not going to talk to you, what do you need to put this case on them? I need people to come forward and talk to me. Were there people there that night that would know this? I believe so. Detective Torres thinks there was someone else who answered the door when Angie knocked that Wednesday night in the fall of 2016, and someone else who certainly knows how Angie's body came to rest in a five-foot-deep grave behind an empty house where it was found after a tip eight months later. What may seem like a circumstantial slam-dunk case for amateur detectives isn't good enough for Torres and the Marion County prosecutor. And then I've also talked to people say, oh, everybody knows that, that they did it. How do you know? Oh, that's what the word on the street. Well, word on the street doesn't help me at all. They could send me in a direction, but it cannot get me the probable cause to make an arrest. It's unfortunate this happened. It's unfortunate that a female would put herself in that situation for whatever reason why she's in that situation where she needs that money. I don't know. But it's unfortunate that she, um, she was doing that. It's unfortunate. But it doesn't change how I look at her or I look at the right. case. Just like I've done on every case that I've had. I look at it all the same way. I'm colorblind. I'm religion blind. I am 
uh, fiscally blind when it comes to investigating cases. I have a victim, and I could care less what their lifestyle was. Christina Kramer knows what her daughter did for a living, but she says that's not who she was. Angie was a big sister, a success in her family and in her high school, and a young woman with a dream to be really smart with her money so someday she wouldn't have to dance for strangers and take dollar bills for tips. Do you fear that because of what your daughter did for a living, do you fear that the rest of us or the city or just society, that we value the loss of their life less simply because of the choices they made as opposed to being sitting at home and you know being victim of a home invasion sometimes yeah it, it does feel that way and, and and it does seem that way um, you hear which don't get me wrong we we usually don't read comments and you know we we ignore a lot <laughs> um, but we we've heard it and we've seen it um, Oh well, you know, just another stripper gone. Serves her right. If she would have had a real job. And and it always goes back to victim blaming. You know, why was it her fault she died? Why isn't it the fault of the murderer? The person who took her life is the one at fault for killing her. It's not her fault. It's theirs. You know, it shouldn't matter if a woman's out running around butt naked. That doesn't give any man or anybody the right to put their hands on her. If she says no, no is no. But it always goes back to let's blame the victim. Our conversation in the park where Angie hung out while growing up was coming to an end with Christina and her husband, who'd been sitting by quietly, reliving the last two and a half years for the past 90 minutes. Both you guys were at work all night. You should be home <laughs> sleeping right now, and you're sitting here talking to me, and I'm a stranger, and I'm asking you about the most miserable, painful stuff that's ever happened to you in your life. Why would you even talk to me? Because our daughter is one of the most important things in our life, and her life meant something, and she meant the world to us. Christina Kramer remembers the last time she talked to Raven Miller during that phone call out of the blue in January of 2017, when Miller said to her, Oh, you want to know what her last words were? Did you ask her again, where's my daughter? No, because I knew she wasn't going to give me a straight answer. So, I thought I'd give it a shot. Calling the phone number Christina had that belonged to Raven the night Angie got the offer to dance at the party. All right, well, let's see if... Miss Raven's still at the phone number and still answering. Well, here we go. Call rejected. And a text message got me nowhere. Her Instagram page was deleted, and there's no Facebook under the name Raven Miller either. If you think Angie's mother is heartbroken, and I'm frustrated. Imagine what a professional investigator dedicated to bringing killers to justice and doing right by Angie Barlow feels. It's tough when you when you basically have information, you believe you know who did 
who committed this crime. Not only this case, but there's other cases as well where you have this. You're like, I believe this, or this is a, a really good lead that this is possibly the people involved, but I don't have enough to push it over. I need people to come forward and talk to me. Were there people there that night that would know this? I believe so. Yes, there are other, I guarantee you there are other people in there. I could, in my mind, I could guarantee you, I mean, physically and evidence-wise, I don't have that right now, but I believe that there are other people that know exactly what happened to her. And I just want to talk to them. There's more I could tell you about Angie Barlow, but nothing that would lead to solving her murder. She was a good bowler in high school, and at Club Rio, her stage name was Diamond. So back at the high school in Muncie, her former coach helped start the Diamond in the Rough Angie Barlow Scholarship. Her mom says the money for college is based on overcoming hardships, and she reads essays every spring from kids about the personal challenges they've faced to stay in school and why they are a deserving Diamond in the Rough. Christina Kramer, the discovery of Angie's body, gave her an answer she didn't like, but at least it was an answer. Compared to the scores of families of young women, and men too, who just vanish without a trace. Christina thinks she knows why her daughter was murdered. What she doesn't know is what it'll take to bring Angie's killers to Indy Justice. As we were leaving, Christina said to me, you never think your life is going to be a bad episode of Law and Order. It is definitely not like what you see on TV. It's not like CSI where, you know, hey, we got this an hour later. You know, that's not the way it works. One of the things Rhonda said to me last week is, at one point she was really down and it was bad and she said only once have I ever heard Mariah's voice in my head and the voice said to her mommy they got me don't let them get you you ever hear Angie's voice I do I do and it always says mommy don't give up and I won't over the past couple years, several young women have died in Indianapolis in mysterious or tragic ways that has the streets whispering rumors about a serial killer. We didn't find that, but it doesn't help that these cases remain unsolved or unresolved. While investigating these murders and deaths, I stumbled upon a weird six degrees of separation from Angie Barlow while talking to the mother of another murder victim. Rhonda Horton's daughter, Mariah Kern, was stabbed to death in 2018. In your mind, how does all this start with Angie Barlow? Um, my daughter and Angie Barlow was friends. We've taken Angie Barlow's story about as far as it can go right now, without a new witness, a new development, an arrest. But there's more to the friends of Angie Barlow, including a trail of murder and narcotics. The killings have seemed to slow down, but it's still full of drugs. It winds its way through the back alleys and drug houses of Indianapolis. Why are you here? Don't be here by yourself. Traced by homicide detectives. It just is really a risk of being involved in that sort of uh, world. And moms 
on a mission. I don't want justice just for Mar Mariah. I want justice for Jamie Beasley. I want justice for Angie Barlow, Tiffany Harlow. I want justice for all these girls. That's next on part three, The Friends of Angie Barlow. I'm Russ McQuaid. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time for Indie Justice. Indie Justice is reported by Russ McQuaid and produced by Greg Margeson, Maureen Caruso, and Mallory Wheel. Maverick Atterbury is our editor. If you have information on this story to report, you can submit a tip to Crime Stoppers at 317-262-TIPS. We'd love to hear feedback and story suggestions from you. You can contact us by emailing IndieJusticePod at gmail.com or tweet us at IndieJusticePod. Find more content, including an interactive timeline, at fox59.com slash IndieJustice. Justice.